to get rolling. Okay. All right, let me get a couple more links out for everyone. And let's share one more link here on Twitter to get this party started. Bad glare going on there. Okay. Alan Staple, thank you for joining me. This is The Greatest Transfer of Wealth. I am your host, Zach Rector, and it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to be having you join us over here, Alan. Thank you so much for giving us the time of day. Uh, why don't we shout out your YouTube channel and where can people find you to start off? Uh, you can uh, find me on YouTube at The Staple Crew. You can also find uh, my fun little farm on themisfarms.com. Awesome. We also we also have a tiny YouTube channel. Okay, cool. So let's talk about what just happened. You kind of went a little bit viral. The XRP community found you. <laughs> Everyone's trying to run you down and pin you down to give us the inside scoop. So just uh, run me through the last week for you, how it's been You know, going viral, what you think of the XRP community. And uh, once again, I know that you've had many requests. And so I just really appreciate you taking the time to come on our platform. Thank you. Sure, no problem. I'm glad to be part of it. Um, crazy week, 10 days, whatever it's been. What happened really was so spontaneous. I was telling um, Chad last night, uh, was it, the way it happens, it was so quick. You know, when you're excited, you're talking to somebody and you get a little tidbit, you know, it's a little red crumb that you're all excited about and you want to share it with somebody well i really only had my wife to share it with who's into crypto but not to the level that the excitement that the rest of us have about it i go inside the kitchen oh dude you get you can't believe what i just got i got this huge you know story this thing's amazing oh it's going to be awesome I, I think i put a bigger piece of the puzzle together in my head as soon as i heard it I'd never really understood the, lev, the depth and level that uh, XRP was dealing with when it comes to the treasury and what their plans were and the big plans of it all. That was really kind of new for me. So I just ran outside of all my 60 videos. It's the only one I ran outside and just shot, just boom. And you don't think of the consequences or, oh, this is going to make me, you know, I thought, I knew the army was there because two or three times when I've done XRP videos, it's like, wow, you know, my channel would get 200 hits and I'd be happy. But uh, XRP videos would get like 500. And I'd be like, wow, that's cool. And people were sharp in the chat. And, you know, it was fun to be. But I think it's up to over 40,000 views now. I mean, it's just, it's crazy what happened to it. But yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. You know, I had a similar story last year when I started on TikTok. I made my first TikTok was about XRP. 
<clears throat> excuse me. Oh, and boy. within like uh, 24 hours, it had like 60,000 views and the rest is history. And that was the power of TikTok at this time. But as you can see, the XRP community is just digging for any sort of information we can get. I think one of the best researchers, uh, one of the best research groups within the cryptocurrency space is the XRP army because we've been tied up in this whole conspiracy deal, right? And so I appreciate you for coming on and sharing some information for us. Before we get into XRP cryptocurrency, I wanted to give everyone your background, your story, where you come from, how you've uh, managed to sit at the, across the table from some people that are getting some deals done. So why don't you run us through our background and tell us a little bit about Alan Staple and your experience? Uh, well, uh, as a kid, I was a uh, son of a naval officer. So I kind of bounced around. I lived in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for years, uh, San Diego, as you can imagine, Bremerton, Washington, Pensacola, Florida. He was naval there. Um, they all wanted me to go down that route, as you can imagine. Uh, just really never interested me to be in the military. But uh, so as things would have it, I just really enjoyed my moments in real estate. And when you grew up in Southern California, like I did as a kid, um, money just came to California. The whole world moved there. And real estate blew up there a long time ago. Um, so I watched the way a house was purchased at 20 grand and two years later was 40 grand. I, I saw that growing up as a kid. So I knew the power of things and uh, scarcity and people wanting you know, beachfront property and whatnot. So it's always been in my mind that I would do something with economics and play around with it. And like I told in the video, I really got into studying it, learning about it, knowing about it. And uh, when I really got my tail handed to me, was a story we'll go right into, is I was 21 years old and uh, the Hunt brothers came out. And uh, anybody that doesn't know the background story, there were two brothers that were trying to, the rumor was they were trying to manipulate the silver market. They were trying to hold all the physical assets. Well, that was a bit of a rumor, but by the time a little guy who was just a shop clerk found out about this thing, I had leveraged myself in a contract. Yeah. yeah. And immediately when I believe the powers that be, I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but they had decided, well, that's enough of that. Right. And they crushed it. And I was long in a futures contract on margin. And anybody that knows that position or has ever been in that situation, it's painful when your broker's calling you and saying, oh, no, Mr. Staple, we need $500 tomorrow. You don't understand. And I didn't have it. So that was a big lesson about finance. I want to learn more about it. And by the way, I've never really been leveraged since. Okay. You yep. learned that lesson quick. Yeah. Uh, became a yacht captain. Um, I think I went over that in my other video, but it it was just a natural progression for me because I was meeting more and more influential people because I was a fly fishing guide and people who could spend $300 a day on a guide, you know, have connections. And so they liked me, my personality. And they thought, well, you know, I'll put him forward to this friend of mine. 
And I moved to Cabo San Lucas and I started fly pitching in the saltwater. We started filming shows on that and it was fun. We had a great time. But I was flying back from a ski resort two weeks in Cabo and two weeks in Mammoth. And Mammoth is a ski resort I grew up in. And people, you don't understand people until you spend all day with a fishing rod with them or all day on a aft deck on a yacht. You really get to know people. And that was a lesson in, I met all walks of life. People that can afford to charter a fishing boat for a thousand dollars a day, you know, are not your average people. And uh, what I learned over all those years is they're no different than anybody else. So right. Our perception of who they are is different. But that's a that's with every level of income. Like people that only make twenty grand a year think that people that make a hundred thousand dollars a year are rich. So, yeah. So that gave you a chance to get intimate with some people that had a little bit of net worth, were doing deals and uh, getting that close with some of those people really gave you some good insight to just all of the markets and probably just life experience, right? I asked you, uh, I don't know if you have this story lined up. I asked you the best story from being a yacht captain that you can share with us. Maybe you want to, do you have one of those? Uh, Boy, I can't get too crazy about any of them, but uh I was going to say, we we don't have to like 10 that go through my head, but the morning of nine 11, I was on a little sand spit in the Bahamas with the man who actually owned the company that secured. Yeah. Secured the what? So you cut out there for a second. When uh, secured the twin tower buildings. Okay. He, He owned the security company that ran so we're watching Good Morning America on a sand spit, enjoying life, middle of nowhere. And the plane crashes into the building. As you can imagine, we're like, boss, you might want to come see this. And, uh, you know, you can imagine what the rest of the day was like. But the crazy part was we couldn't get off the island. He owned that company and couldn't even get to the employees, couldn't even get home. Is a man out of Texas. Oh, and uh, he actually invented the. Uh, well, he invented a lot of things, but he he invented uh, a lot of systems for banking. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm sure that you have but, more, much more uh, stories yeah, there. I mean but... that that story, that story went on for a week, trying to get off the boat, trying to get back to the states. It wouldn't let anybody in or out, but, but uh, it was wild. Yeah. Yeah. So now bringing it back to the markets, what all experience do you have as far as I know you've said you've been involved in a lot FX, obviously you did silver there when you were a young, young gentleman. So what is your full experience in trading and investing up to this point? Uh, well, I followed stocks, uh, became, you know, I took the series seven. I don't know if anyone knows what that exam is. It was a brutal six hour exam. And uh, I failed it twice. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not pr- too proud to say I failed that one twice. Um, yeah. Twenty. It, it's a. It's a brutal exam. It, I, anyway, I went on to stocks. The problem with stocks in the mid '80s is it didn't matter what you bought; it all went up. So, you could buy the worst stock on the market and you made money. So we all got lazy. 
until one Tuesday morning in 87. And uh, that's sort of history, what happened that day. So that really, I learned a lot that day. I learned what shorting meant <laughs> because it was a guy calling for shorts. Uh, I'd never forget this guy. Uh, Korean man, very little English, uh, English, and he was absolutely spot on. He was just too early. And he kept waiting, kept waiting, kept waiting. And that day, near as we could figure back then, he made somewhere around $20 million on that creative day. They would short everything, you know. So um, didn't like it. Didn't like the crowd, you know what I mean? It was like, you're always trying to find uh, new clients. I don't know if you guys know what the term turning is, yeah. but uh, it's, right. yeah, just constantly trading somebody's account. And, right. Yeah. It's, there was a lot of negative backhanded deals that I really didn't care much for. So I was like, well, maybe I'll get out of this. And then I had an experience with the SEC, which I did a video about. And um, we were selling REITs in the ski resort that I lived in. And so we didn't know, but we'd sold a REIT to a, the DA's brother. And that man basically said, well, I want my money because I'm going through a divorce. Well, it was a seven year out. Couldn't touch it without a massive penalty. We'd done everything correctly, but he, he wanted his money then. Mm -hmm. We called yeah. his brother, the DA. He charged us with 22 counts in a small town of 2,500 people. And on the front page was 22 counts accusing Remington Securities of fraud. Well, the beauty of being a broker is when the SEC lawyers come out from New York and they say, okay, hey, deposition with you for eight hours. What did you do right? What did you do wrong? We went all the paperwork, took the paperwork. It came back with the paperwork and everything was thrown out of court. All of it because we'd done everything correctly. But on the very last page of the paper, it said cleared of all 22 charges in tiny print. And that's the media for you in a nutshell. So crushed that business. So, yeah, it was tough. I went on to meet a man in, uh, he chartered our boat three or four times in the Caribbean. He's one of two Swiss bankers that can't be on the same plane at the same time. Okay. He's that guy. Yeah. He's that guy. He, he's that guy. And he told me, Alan, you're a really sharp guy. Why are you a vocab? I said, well, Ernst, I don't understand what you mean. He's like, I have the best job in the world. I get to play with people like you and your children on this beach. And I travel the world. And for me at the time in my life, it was magical. He said, no, no, you're too smart for this. I'm going to send you a book I wrote. And he you know, signed it. It was about 4X. And when I started reading that book, I was like, well, huh, maybe I could make some money on the side, you know, and just trading. That took me down over, well over a decade. Got my wife into it. You know, we moved to Canada for a few years and we just traded. That's all we did. And I was a scalper, if anyone knows what that is. Yeah. I traded on a one second time frame. And uh, it was crazy. I didn't like it because I was staring at a computer six or eight hours a day. 
but it can be profitable. Right. So, so you've basically dabbled in all of it, a little bit of experience in all of it. And, um, you know, what's interesting to see is the similarities between these market crashes that we've had in the past, like the 87 crash you speak of, and then kind of the times leading up to it that we've kind of gone through over the last decade as well. So I wanted to transition into talking about and comparing from someone who's been experienced and gone through these previous crashes and all of these cycles, where are we at and what similarities do you see in uh, the current economic conditions versus what we saw in those market crashes you've gone through? Ooh, that's a loaded question. But um, first, we need to get back to fundamentals to some degree. Uh, the market back then this is my opinion, not even my opinion, this is reality, was true. It used to be that you bought a stock because it was profitable. Somebody made money. It had a future. So um, today, um, not just my opinion, uh, stocks are being propped up through money or assets of all sorts. But there was no plunge protection team back then. It's funny because they used to call us conspiracy theorists that, you know, they're stopping this thing from crashing. It should have crashed and corrected naturally like all good, you know, free markets would do. But they were right. stopping it from occurring. And Greenspan was a big part of that. And they changed everything because they took it all digital. And uh, not digital, crypto digital, I wish, right? But that's coming as well. Well, the market's completely different today. It's it has levers and levers and people behind the scenes that are able to move things that really shouldn't. There's so many ghost companies, I call them ghost companies because they don't make a profit and they're being propped up. And to answer the question, this one could be really bad, uh, only because there's more and more people today than ever before that understand what sound money means. And when more and more people learn because of great shows like yours, um, people don't want that system because it doesn't make sense. And uh, once they understand the fundamentals behind it, they all sort of lean towards Austrian economics, which is more sound and and built more on math. The more that occurs and more aware people become, the more likely a massive crash will come. This time, they are going to change the outcome in a different way, in my opinion. I'm going to do a show kind of on that Tuesday, or Monday or Tuesday, so I don't really want to get really into total exact theory that I believe is going to happen. But you should look for that on my channel because that's something I'm talking about real soon. Yeah. And by the way, everyone, after we're done here, I'm going to make sure that that link is at the top of the description down below for Alan's channel. So make sure you guys go follow him, subscribe over there, but show him some love. And we're going to be tuning in. I'll be tuning in because I want to hear what else you have to say. I know we spoke before and you said, "Eh, I got a video coming. I'm going to go deep on it. So I'll be, I'll be tuning in for that one as well, Alan, and make sure everyone goes and shows him some love. So, so everybody knows not to interrupt. I I don't go, I am not a whiteboard deep dive guy. I'm really concepts and then I bounce them off people that I trust. 
Yeah. And most of most of the people are like, well, it's just no, that's not going to work. Or you know, yeah, I that's a possibility. So so comparing back to these previous market cycles and the situations that we've seen in the past, it is my opinion that they have the ability, more tools to manipulate the markets now than they did in the past. Is that kind of where you're coming from? And then the scale of this bubble is every single asset class and it's ramped up to an unprecedented level because of the inflation and money printing. What's your take on, on that? You know, more manipulation and the problem being much bigger than the previous market crashes we went through. I completely agree. The can just keeps getting bigger and they just get a bigger boot to kick the can down the road. Uh, it's pretty obvious. And it, like you say, it's in all asset classes. It, it's everywhere now. But big picture, big macro picture is this. They can't hide. It's a complete debt-based system, as we all know, right? So there's nowhere else to hide the debt. They need to create more debt. We have, what, quadrillions and digits of U.S. dollars out there. Flooded the entire planet. Well, so what did they decide to do? They decide, well, I'm going to cut back and I'm going to put less dollars out there and raise interest rates. Well, their whole plan for that, it's fundamentally sound. And I think Volcker made it work back in the 80s. But it's not going to work this time because of what I just said. There's entirely too much insolvent debt. doesn't make sense because it goes companies have been inflated not profitable it's not functional so how are they going to a guess a quick guess would be they're going to drop a decimal point or two and package it in a different way um, you know whether you like cbdc's or whatever you whatever they're going to come out and kind of reform the u.s unit dollar unit um that's highly likely again that's probably going to be covered in tuesday's show but um, that's where they're going with it. Is it going to be successful? I think 10 or 20 years ago, it might've been, I think it probably will not be successful the first launch or two, because there's too many people calling them out on their, I don't want to use the word Ponzi scheme, but we're going to call it that for the second. It, yeah. There's too many people like Russia, China, the BRICS nations and the Saudis and people who have looked through this looking glass of like, well, that's not adding up any longer. You know, that doesn't make sense. How, how, you know, we're supposed to believe that that's just real when we can see behind the curtain. So, yeah. Now, um, I don't think I answered the question. But <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Um, one thing that I had uh, written down here is, do you think that the Fed will be able to successfully I mean, really, does it even matter? Because like you said, either way, we come to the same conclusion. It's just a matter of when are they going to stop kicking it down the road? And we have to admit that it has gone bust and we do have to do the reset revaluation. Um, for me, it looks like we're pretty close uh, because like you said, the rest of the world leaving the US dollar, leaving the SWIFT system and going their own way accelerates that timeline. And then people within the United States, as this situation gets worse, that's going to apply more pressure to our government to actually do something as well, too. Um, I guess, do you? Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And, and 
So that's why people say that we're going to have to re resort back to QE money printing, and eventually they'll have to cut interest rates once again to keep this thing back afloat. And because of the debt service, people don't realize how much the interest payments on their debt will be each year. I mean, it's you're talking a trillion dollars each year if we maintain at these interest rates yes. of, of how much they'll be having to pay back on their debt, right? Just on the interest. Right. So basically, uh, I guess the question I, would be, do you think they're going to successfully be able to pivot and keep it going for a little bit longer? Or do you think that we're up against that timeline where they have to say and admit, okay, here's the new system. Here's the reset. Uh, it's, it's a great question. I think I haven't, I haven't answered it. Maybe you haven't heard anywhere else. How about that? How about for hard hitting press here? Okay. The situation has become so absurd, right? But let's just backtrack this a little bit. They never had an avenue or a physical thing to put all this leverage into like they do now, okay? So one of your other questions that I read triggered this thought, but I've been working on this one as well. If you look at the fact that the pivot is going to be good for what? Assets, crypto, correct? Okay, almost everybody agrees with that. What if I told you that, that if they didn't pivot, it would be better for crypto? Okay. That would be a new twist, right? Right. Okay, so where I'm going with that is this. You're stuck in a rock and a hard place like you're explaining. Okay, but that's like paying the debt back. But what if they simply transferred the debt into these tokens, which we believe is probably coming at some way or another, right? Okay, so what would what would happen to the U.S. dollar if the inflation continued to go up? You're looking at uh, retirement funds. You're looking at all these muties. You're looking at everybody's trying to do what? They're trying to grasp yield i mean let's look at the uk their bonds are paying two to four percent and their inflation's 10 who's going to buy a bond nobody's going to buy a bond You're not, right. who's losing six percent right what do they need they need a new place to hide the cash which is the debt that i was talking about before they need to resurface that debt into a brand new shiny little object that we can create that people can believe in and it's the new trinket Mm -hmm. Now, so people are asking me when I share this with people, they're like, well, that's different. How do you think that might work? And I'm like, well, I think the Fed will never pivot. I'm wrong half the time. I'm wrong more than half the time. Depends on who you ask. Well, to your point, they, yeah, to your point, like I've been saying, guys, we got to take the Fed at their word. There's nothing else we can do besides take them at their word, even though we don't really like trust what they're telling us. We have to take them at their word, which is they're saying they're going to raise interest rates through the end of the year, right. which, you know, people think that the bottom's in and we're going to bounce back. How is that possible if the Fed doesn't pivot, you know? Um, now, to your point, though, if you look at this in a more long-term thought out way, like I think you're approaching, that's going to be good for our assets because that oh, means people are going to be leaving and coming into the real assets. Correct. Correct. Because that effect of paying those high interest rates only affects people that are borrowing money that day on 
Okay. Anybody that already owns the assets, which I hope people out there already own your crypto assets and other assets, gold, silver, I believe in real estate, whatever you have. Um, all of those things are going to be, as our favorite friend says about uh, silver, unobtainium. Why? Because it's real. Because it's, it, you're not, on the farm here, we have a saying, it's like, well, you can print all the money you want, but it doesn't taste like chicken. You can't print the chicken, right? So all the chickens are going to go up in value. Maybe not in the short term. Okay, maybe not, probably not, but the pain is almost over. How much further? Let's use XRP. How much further can it go? I mean, right. I hate to ask that question, but half, maybe. But at some point, people are going to say, I'd rather have the XRP than the dollar. Absolutely. Which brings up the conclusion that I came to was this all, all the people that are saying to me, especially in my chat, was like, Oh, well, when I get enough money for my XRP, I'm going to sell it to buy a house or a farm or whatever, and I'm going to help my friends. And I believe that's what we would all do with wealth. The problem is to sell it into what? And that's the picture I'm painting. Right. You're going to trade your tokens for a dollar? Why would you do that? Especially when it's so inflationary. Okay. Well, if they don't pivot, it's going to go huge, crazy inflationary. We know that. As to you and I's situation that you're sitting in with currently holding a wallet, that's brilliant for you. So if they pivot, we win. If they don't pivot over time, we're going to win even greater right. exponentially, in right. my opinion. That's and maybe a concept you haven't heard before. That's the kind of stuff that I talk to about Bob. I'm like, Bob, what do you think about this? Does that yeah. hold water with you? And he's like, well, I can understand how that would work, but they will pivot because that's all we know. All we know is what we've lived and they've always pivoted. But when you start to look at, like we mentioned earlier, countries like Russia, countries like China are getting away from fake money, fiat, if you will, and they're getting into at least digits and they're actually accepting cryptocurrencies again. So those are more real, if you will, yeah. in a sense. Well, and it's the same thing with the SEC lawsuit with Ripple. As I say, whether it you know settles up this month, next year, it's eventually going to, right? And we've positioned ourselves accordingly. Whether yes. the Fed pivots this month, next year, or never, we've positioned ourselves accordingly. Correct. And everyone in the meantime is trying to make content, make speculate, you know, and try to, you know, we got to have right. something to talk about. So we got to throw out the next date that something might happen. That's um, right. Now, I guess since you mentioned it, I want to get into this. This is what everyone wants to know about, which is, you know, this, this recent topic, this recent video that you just did with a market maker for the treasury meeting with Ripple. Now, I'm going to assume that most people have seen your video. They kind of understand Let's get the current update. I know that you've spoken with Bob since. Where is that at and why is that market maker meeting with Ripple? What has Bob told you? What's your speculation on that? Yeah, I did ask him about it. He didn't really have a whole lot to say about it. However, I, he says it hasn't happened yet, but um, he was kind of surprised that I was so wound up about it because I had no idea that they were working directly. 
I, I just didn't know. Maybe there's many XRP people out there that did. I did not know. Well, well, let me backtrack. Six months ago, I told Bob about something, you know, the ISO 222. I told him about that. He didn't know anything about it. Two weeks later, he's like, hey, I checked into that ISO thing you were talking about. Yeah, our staff has a two-week tool they have to go to to learn about. This regulation's coming. That's a lot of what I talked to Bob about. Now, he always tells me, well, I don't know how you crypto guys got out ahead of Wall Street, but you guys did. They're blown away. They're behind the eight ball. Of course, there's many of these people that know what's going on and, and they're moving systems around. Sure. But one thing he's learned, and I've taught, helped teach him, when the government sets up software and creates a program, it always fails. They're terrible at it. You look at the Obamacare thing, that was a debacle. It's the I first mean, thing I thought of. <laughs> every every time they create it, my son worked for the post office, and I think they're still in Windows 95 office. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, the technology that they're in. But that's why they need companies like Ripple. Because if it's not going to be XRP, it's going to be Ripple helping them create whatever's down the road. Yeah. That's what I think. Does again, I was the guy that speculated and said XRP. He said Ripple Company. And don't worry, I'm not going to call it a parent company again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got a oh boy. I, I got really chewed out on that one. I got agitated quickly. Yeah. I was like, and then I was thinking about it. So, what else could I call it? You know, okay. Yeah. They're affiliated, put it that way. I mean, yeah. they are the custodians of half the supply. And I call Ripple the righteous custodians of it because I believe that yeah. they're going to make sure that that XRP is used to utilize and grease the wheels of the whole system and financial infrastructure. Exactly. I, have, I have faith in Ripple because they're the most transparent company in the whole cryptocurrency space. Agreed. Tying that back. Which like I said, want to finish. Go ahead. No, no, sir. What do you guys say? You're going to ask me what I was about to answer probably. How did how did how do you think that Ripple was able to get the 43rd Treasurer of the United States to join their board? And you know, for me, what I've seen from Ripple is they're saying Brad, in his own words, says that XRP is the heartbeat of Ripple, and so they've onboarded all these clients, all these institutions with Ripple Net, which was not using XRP, and now we're starting to see the on-demand liquidity with XRP getting ramped up. Yeah. So, you know, you th- uh, how, how deep does wow. this go with the treasury? I know this. It it. I did a 180. As soon as I saw that occur, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And then I just thought, well, it's just another, excuse the expression, bot politician or whatever who's on some corporate board that's getting fluff. But then she started to text or, you know, Twitter and speak publicly. And if you listen to the words coming out of the lady's mouth, she's on board. Not only is she on board, she knows where the ball's going. Specifically mentioning XRP too, not just Ripple. That's right. She is. And like I mentioned a minute ago, Bob's totally aware. He, he, he's like, okay, you crypto guys are onto this. this. This is going to happen. Every time I start connecting dots and I start telling about materials and other people, 
it's like they, they, he just goes, well, I'll check into that. I'll look into that. And he comes back to me every single time. And it's like, how do you know this? And that's another thing I want to say about shows like yours and, and many other shows. Um, the information that we're sharing, I know sounds like it's repetitive. And, and a lot of times it's, it's, it is. But the news that is dropping every single day in the crypto world is mind-blowing. Like six years ago, when I started getting into crypto, we would like the market would have tripled if you we would have heard that Fidelity got into crypto. Tripled that day. Today, it's like nobody's paying attention. Okay. And so when things happen, like the treasurer becomes, you know, on the board of Ripple, I, I, are you kidding me? Like, that's huge. Have I looked into it? Yeah. Can I get anything on it? No, I wish I could, but I'd be speculating. But every word comes out of her mouth. She's not just a paid puppet either. You can tell. I don't know if you, you know, get that same sense. Well, what excites me about Rosie is amazing. she's the one who was tasked with creating our new currency. That was one of her last roles at the treasury was literally creating yeah. the last bills, the last currency is what they called it. And then she also said that she's seen the gold, you know, that she's been, she said, I don't know if she said to Fort Knox, but she said that we have the gold, right? And then she moves on to Ripple, which is the big question, right? Is how much gold do we still have? Do we have any? Um, that's a whole nother rabbit hole conspiracy. But just her saying that, right? And then joining mm -hmm. the board of Ripple and then being so pro XRP, right? You just go, something's yeah. going on here. She's yeah, at the tables right. where the conversation's yeah. happening on how we reset, restructure this whole system. Yeah, because those kind of conversations happen on, on the aft deck of a yacht, maybe. But she's doing this publicly. I mean, this is for the world to see. The, right. There's no speculation in her. She's not trying to, you know, hide behind anything. It's pretty amazing. Like, and to, to answer your question, uh, the reason, the biggest reason why my channel started with all crypto, I still believe in all crypto. I, I, I research so many of them, but each day, each month has gone by and more and more forest focused on Ripple in particular, in particular Ripple. Um, I love XRP, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I hold quite a bit. By the way, one of the things I don't say in my videos, I really need to say it, get it in cold storage, get it on anything, you know, Trezor, you know, Nano S, whatever you believe in, put it in that and put it in a safe. Don't leave it on the exchanges. Please, if you do anything, don't do that. These exchanges are, I'm going to put a polite word, rehypothecating these coins. Uh, let's just put it politely. They right. don't have what they say they do. I know yep. that for a fact. Yep. That's one of the questions I asked Bob. And he's like, yeah, that's a little shaky over there. For sure. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned that, I want to ask, for me, I people ask me all the time, well, what do you think about staking here for interest? What do you think about putting it on this platform to get some sort of yield? Over the last year, I have been firm in saying that I don't trust any of these exchanges and I don't trust any of these platforms. The story sounds good. It looks cute. It sounds really nice. I don't trust anybody with my XRP specifically. 
Right. And so for me, I haven't done any of that, but eventually after regulatory clarity and after what I want to see is the whole dang financial system cleaned out so that I know what bank I can trust, what I know what institution, or maybe it will be some DeFi play that's, you know, flare network or something. But for me, I'm waiting until we kind of clean house, set the rules. Then I will be looking at that. Is that where you're at too? I, well, not, not entirely. I mean, I do stake coins and I run a few nodes. So, okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I believe it's a pretty secure. Uh, the two, two of the different nodes that I run, I think are very pretty secure. I've been running them for a few years, not yeah. a glitch. So, and they paid, you know, 20% annually. <laughs> right. So, right. You but know. that's not XRP, right? Or, no, it is not. Yeah. See, See, that's what I was telling my people is I said, yeah, if you want to play around with the other ones, that's yeah, fine. Right. This is the reserve currency, the financial system. I'm not playing around with mine, which probably is not financial not advice. Idea. Right. But, yeah. yeah, probably not a good idea. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because no. they, so, have, they have big plans for this thing. Exactly. That much exactly. I know for a fact. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into um, an exciting theory that stirs up the community a lot. You guys, you saw that I put it there in the questions. What is your take on the Fed buyback theory proposal? We know it's a real proposal that Val, Val Hill Capital gave to the Federal Reserve, I guess. Um, what are your thoughts on that theory? Again, I, I, I have a video coming out about that's going to cover that briefly. Um, but one of the things I kind of mentioned earlier, they're just getting a bigger boot. They're just going to re package the thing and you know what i mean uh, we're gonna they'll drop some decimals you know and here it is here's the new we we took all this debt out of it don't worry about it now just go ahead and spend more mm-hmm. you know let's keep the ponzi alive uh I, I have a really cool video about that whole subject <laughs> i don't know why you ask all the good questions about stuff that i'm about to do but yeah um, Trying to pry it out of you. The community yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't be happy with me if I didn't try to pry it out. <laughs> right. But you're good. You're good. Everyone make sure we go subscribe to Alan's <laughs> channel after and we're going to tune in for the uh, watch party. That's not that's not at all what I was trying to achieve there. But yeah, thanks. No, it's all good. It. Yeah. It's all good. I, my thought was some people think it's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing ever that, that we shouldn't even talk about it. Right. For me, yeah. I say, OK, it's a real proposal. And here's where I'm at. I, as an American, want our country, our treasury to take back the reins uh, of, of our dollar, of our currency. Like we need to reset this thing and give us a level playing field. So could the Federal Reserve Treasury use XRP to do so? I think they could. I think it would be a great solution. Does that mean they're going to? No, that's pure speculation of us trying to put together this conspiracy theory. Yes. Me. I think that it is much more likely instead of buying back my XRP, my little bag, Joe Schmo with a little generational wealth bag of XRP. I don't think they need my XRP. What I see potentially playing out is much more likely for them to use the treasury to just go cut a deal with Ripple for some of that escrow account. What are your thoughts on something like that happening? You nailed it. That's exactly my thoughts on it. That that escrow account... It's exactly what they're at. That's it. I don't understand how else they could pull it off. I mean, without without anybody. First of all, let's remember something that I 
I go, I live my life by the tool. Essentially, Wall Street doesn't create anything. They don't produce anything. They're not really good at anything. What they're really good at is repackaging things and then selling it to somebody new. Okay. That's what they're really good at. That's what they're going to do. It's about as blunt as I can be. But, and if you look at the derivatives market, that's their forte. That's what they're good at. It's creating quadrillions of dollars of wagers is all it is on the same right. bet. Time after time after time after time. And, and what they're going to try and do is put a shiny new paint job on it, put you know lipstick on the pig, and they're going to, oh, it's in an escrow this time, or it's, you know, it's a fortified by 18 governors of the state. I think it's more of the same. Since you brought it up, I want to get your take. They say on the conservative side, the derivatives market is about $600 trillion now. Some estimates put it into the quadrillions, and you kind of just said that. For me, I think, yeah, it's for sure in the quadrillions because you have a shadow asset class there where some of it's just not on the books. You can't even track it, right? So in your opinion, what's your estimate on how big that market is? It's well over a quadrillion. Yeah. Well over. And I... I I think Jamie Dimon admitted to that not long ago, didn't he? But um, go check that. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. What a, this is a cool little analogy I come up with all the time. What a, one of the most amazing things is uh, the most prolific things on the planet. Let's go over that. What what might that be? And grains of sand, maybe gallons in the ocean, maybe leaves on a tree, blade of grass. Where does the dollar stand in that? Think about it. There are more dollar digits than anything on the planet, other than a few things that I just mentioned. That's crazy, right? Here's the beauty of that. The beauty is that that takes the fear from me from scarcity of it. That means that you and I, there's so much of it out there. There's no reason why you and I can't, shouldn't be capitalizing on twice as much of it as you think you're worthy of because all of us don't really believe that we're worthy of fortunes i don't know if it's the way we're raised or whatever it might be but yeah. you are you you simply are you and you shouldn't feel ashamed that you're trying to do better for your family and generations to come which leads me into this you're going to see the day they're gonna get out of the dollar because there's too many digits just too many digits and they need to put it into something real if you will parentheses obviously i just saw That's, pictures today from argentina of people paying with stacks of cash for their breakfast and lunch you know on the table That's right yeah and it has to be decentralized as we all know in this in this chat here um it's it, it has to be and that's the one thing that i really there was three things that really in the last six months told me that all all roads go down the ripple road for me and it was the bond yeah it was the bond it was decentralization it was the technology it was the fact that they have over 500 employees they're in 25 nations and it's got a working model i mean all of these things i started saying well who else compares to that nobody and nobody really and it's not that I'm just recently Johnny come lately, Mr. Crypto guy uh, or XRP guy. I've always believed in the technology. It's there. 
I was just the only the words in the back of my mind is I know some of these people, these big players can control a lot of different things. One of their favorite things to control is the labor of the little guy. And that's what I was concerned about because of their big bang tides. Right. For to bring it back to your point, I think that it's interesting. The more fake digits, that's what they are, fake fiat money, right? The more digits, the more they pump this system and kick the can down the road, the more of those digits and quote unquote value floods into the new asset class or floods into the new system, right? So I think to your point, it's like if they continue to print more money and pump this up and we go through one last cycle or whatever, yeah. when this does, the, that's only better for us because that means Correct. that the value of the real assets goes much bigger. Yeah. That's, that's what I was saying. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't heard anybody else with that concept before that it doesn't matter if they did it for crypto holders. It doesn't matter yeah. Yeah. because they're going to stuff all those digits into some bag and right. the bag of, of digit or fiat currency, that bag is leaking holes and nobody believes that. Since 71, it hasn't been a real bag. Right. Right. And right now, <laughs> I don't see any other asset that can level the playing field, even the score for every currency and every asset class other than XRP. And I don't see any other company that's as far ahead as Ripple at is for onboarding the traditional financial system and making that transition smooth. Like there's no one else that's further along in that aspect. Would you agree? I would completely agree with that. And I would say not only are they further along, the obviousness of the court case, and, you know, I think we're going to talk about that probably before the show's over, but um, there's too many big players involved. There's too many other countries that are already jumped in and that they know what's happening. And uh, why in the greatest financial nation in the world institutions uh wise anyway um are they in court let's talk about that lawsuit update. Yeah. yeah um so we got the hinman documents huge victory right uh that's great brad replies and says and and the team Stuart alderati says that they've never felt better about their case and they've never felt worse about the tactics the sec has used now you probably also saw too the SEC's already filed for redactions in two of the draft uh, of, of the Hinman speech. They've already filed for redactions in two of those. My, my current hot take on this is if they, have, uh, if they don't get those redactions, then we're going to be settling up here soon because they don't want that out. There's a reason why they want those redactions. If they're able to get those redactions, then maybe they you know, are going to stall this out a little bit longer. What is uh, your current thoughts on the case and the timeline that we're looking at? I, I totally agree with what you just said, obviously. But the other thing that's a little twist on that is if, if you start to look into there, let's go as far down the road as they've ruled. Well, many people that hold XRP think that a negative ruling is a bad thing. I'm not in that camp. A negative ruling against them it's really going to be a slap on the hand, maybe a billion dollar fine, largest in crypto history, and get on with your day. Okay. They clearly are not going to be able to claim that it's a stock. That that, as you know, I I've been reading these court cases. I've read these documents, some of these documents. They have not proven that. They haven't proven any of that. 
and I don't even think they're trying to. Here's the good part about the SEC winning the case and you getting slapped on the wrist and you paying your fine. This is the best part of this. Think about it. If you win, you could be in appellate court for who knows how long. SEC could appeal this. This is my wife helped me out with a lot of this for years to come, years to come. Appeal after appeal after appeal. So everybody who's holds XRP, you maybe might want to see Ripple lose. You know, I'm just putting it out there that at least we know where the hurdle is that we have to go over from that day forward. And and, and that, that to sense? say that Ripple has lost means that XRP has clarity though, right? So it, it, true. It, it, right. It could be a quote unquote loss for Ripple, but really they can afford to cut that check because they, they got yeah. it like that and they're that yeah. successful right yeah. now. And yeah. uh, it's going to give us clarity for XRP, which is what we've always wanted. That's right. And you are now going to know where the bar is. But if they lose the case, intentionally or otherwise, they can hold it up because they don't want the other cryptocurrencies to get this legislation or the obvious ruling, you know, that they've achieved in this courtroom. I was a huge follower. I don't know if you guys follow uh, Reggie Middleton, um, clearly one of the brilliant people in our space. Um, I've been following him for years. Here's a fun little side story for you. I, we, I had a trading group when I was in Forex group and we used to trade quite successfully here and there. And Wall Street came out with this big thing. Oh, we're trying to find the best, you know, bedroom uh, trader in the world, right? Oh, who, who's behind their laptop doing the best trades? Reggie won it. That's how he got put on the map. And then he went the next, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, okay, he got lucky. You know, we'll kill him next year. He won it the next year. I think he won it three years in a row. That's how I knew Reggie Milton. And then almost 10 years go by, and then I'm hearing him interviewed, and he's talking about Veritasium. But when you listen to what Veritasium is, you know why the SEC came after him, and you know why they settled out of court. What did they do settling out of court? Of 100 million tokens, they own 96 million of them. A lot of people don't know that. Think about why does the SEC want to hold Veritasium tokens? If you know anything about Veritasium, it, it, am I going off on a track that you don't want to? No, no, no. You want to Can you just uh, remind me in, in the audience, isn't Reggie the guy who has like the original DeFi patent too or something like that? He created DeFi. Right. That's okay. Right. Which, by the way, is part of my Monday or Tuesday show, how important DeFi is going to be in the future as well. But more plugs, Al. Hey, you might think I planned all that. <laughs> so what, what Reggie was really good at was kind of like my forte and a lot of people's. He knew where the thing was going. You know, I don't know all the bells and whistles. I don't know exactly how the whole engine operates. And I'm not a coder, but I can tell you where it's headed. I, I, that's my, my real strengths. Reggie was miles ahead of me and anyone else when it came to crypto. Well, they need that token, the Veritasium token, in which to run an exchange or trade from currency to currency in a DeFi world. 
He owns that. Well, now they own 96 million of them. What do you think they're planning on doing with that? That's the future probably of your exchanges. Really? All exchanges. Yeah. How did I get off on Veritasium? He's the guy, in my opinion, that understands more than all the rest of the people in Wall Street understood the value in it long before anyone else. Mm-hmm. He's the type of people that are going to change the world for the little people. Right. And he's, by the way, one of the smartest, sharpest guys you'll ever meet. I've been meaning yeah. to do more research on that guy in that situation because I've had people comment on that before and I haven't really researched it yet. But I've been meaning to get Cobb to speed because I know there's a lot of people that are like adamant that you have to know about this story. Sounds like you're tapped in. And that's very interesting to say that the, the markets are going to be running on that. Maybe we can come back of, to that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm going to interrupt you here. Think about the implications for XRP. XRP, we already know, is the tracks that the thing is going to run on, right? Reggie owns the train station. Okay. If you will. Right. Because he yeah. owns DeFi. Yeah. To, to launch a train on these tracks, you, you might want to own some, because it's a work token. You own the token, you can use it, its facility to create a business model. It's interesting. What I didn't mean to sidetrack the show here. No, no, no. Since we went there, what do you think happens then to the rest of the DeFi? Like all this new DeFi, all these other platforms? Boy, I could go on for hours about that. Um, DeFi didn't fail, right? That's a misnomer. DeFi didn't fail, you know, sure. The Ponzi schemes that had been in the space over the last few years failed. Correct. And the the people that had uh, centralized ability to change uh, certain things. I didn't lose any money on that deal. I, I wasn't invested. I thought it was a great project and I thought it could do really well. So what do I know? Right. But DeFi didn't fail. And that's what a lot of people are. Oh, yeah. See, DeFi doesn't work. No. DeFi. Again, we're going to the show I want to talk about. Uh, DeFi, essentially. I'll break it here. DeFi will be the new bond market. Right. Think about it. Think about it. Right. They can control all the digits they want, just like Tether does. Never gets audited. Even when it does, you know, okay, handshake back room. What's it do? Pays you interest to hold it. The longer you stake it, hold it, the more just like a bond. So think about that action. Think about where that may go. The fastness of and what did the bankers in the Wall Street sit back and watch? They went, hmm, we like DeFi. We like CBDCs. We like the tracks of what Ripple built. They're putting all the pieces together before the le- legislation and the regulation comes along to handcuff themselves. Okay, so let's back this up and let's make this f- simple for everyone to understand. And what is the token name, Reggie's token there? Veritasium. Veritasium. You're saying mm-hmm. that that's the train station. Ripple XRP is the tracks. Correct. It's going to connect all the different stations, right? Only and if XRP wants to run on through a brokerage. And 
you're saying though that the SEC took 96% of the try? Yeah. Yes, they did. Okay. In the names of holding it for the citizens of the United States that they're trying to protect in case Reggie was a scam. They settled out of court and that was the deal. But what Reggie really started doing, he started playing with the precious metals market. And once he started doing that, they didn't like any part of that. Also, he was real close to opening up an exchange in Germany and in Jamaica. He's part Jamaican, I believe. Is this guy still alive? Yeah, right. Well, you should hear what he's doing to Ethereum right now. I gotta I, I'm gonna have to do a whole session on on that's Reggie, juicy. it looks like. He, he's like, you owe me back fees on every single one of those tokens that ran DeFi. Not only does he have the patent in the United States, he has the patent in Japan also that says they owe him money for the use of his DeFi network. And this is what I keep on seeing in the comments. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if it was people were being for real or not, or if it's just some oh, other crazy huge. crypto story, right? But yeah. they kept on saying is that he has the patent and eventually yeah. like all of this DeFi, they're going to have to pay royalties to him, right? Yeah. And and so he settled up. The SEC took 96. This is a whole rabbit hole that we weren't even planning on going down. No, it's huge. <laughs> but we're going to have to go further on this one. All you so, got to do is listen to him for five minutes and you're like hooked. The guy is absolutely sharp. He's, uh, he's brilliant. You can tell he's got a trader's mind. Yeah, really good, so, man. And, and so you're saying that bonds, and I've been saying something kind of similar, is that I think that all of these markets, every single asset class will be tokenized. What we're investing in is figuring out uh, what platform they're going to run, what market they're going to run, um, right. who's going to have their uh, CBDC built on their platform, right? There's so right. many different uh, use cases, utilities within this space uh, I'm going to have to look at th- that token here that you mentioned, but <laughs> Very guess, token. what are the, what are some of the other, you know, tokens that you're looking at? What, what other projects are you looking at? Obviously not financial advice, but right. there are interest- obviously this is a very interesting, you know, story and token that you've already brought up. What yeah. else do you think? And who else do you think is actually doing something in the space that matters? Wow. You know, I don't, uh, that's a deep question. Um, I really like, if I'm going to talk specifically about tokens, one of my favorite tokens is a project, uh, DiviProject.org. You know who they are? Never heard of that uh, one. Nick Sampano and uh, Jeff, I can't remember his name. That Nick just became the CEO. They have the easiest, simplest node to run, without a doubt. They're a one-click node. Grandma can learn how to fix that, hook that one up. That's huge. They're paying anywhere between 18, 20%. The thing's been live for a few years. It's solid. Um, the beautiful, beautiful part about that token, I don't mean to be a sales pitch on this guy, but it's, it, it is, is not really financial a, advice, guys. We're just talking about advice. interesting projects. They are just like many other companies that get bypassed by the public. They're not popular. But everything they say they're going to do, they achieve it on time. And they nail it every single time. The confirmation I had that I, that I was really excited about it was a couple of years ago now, when they went to send in their wallet software to a company in Switzerland that tests all the software 
you know, can it be hacked? Can it be broken into? That company uses their technology. They went to test Divi and they were like, oh, no, this is unbelievable. Who wrote this code? We got to have it. So they worked out a deal. What happened just recently with them is they about a year ago now, I want to say, uh, if anyone out there is a football fan, European football, uh, there's a league called La Liga. Okay. Uh, all sorts of teams, over 20 teams. They have 1.3 billion fans. The Divi wallet is the most simple wallet there is in crypto. Well, think about it. They just signed a four-year deal, three-and-a-half-year deal with Divi. So the fans, one click, can trade tokens back and forth. It takes six or eight tokens on the wallet. But they instantly have 1.3 billion users. That might be kind of big. You know what I'm yeah. saying with that one? Yeah. Like nobody else has that market share. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe XRP does. Maybe. But billion, that's a lot of people. Right. That's one of my favorite uh, projects just because I have met Nick and uh, he seems like a great guy. And I go by my cut when I meet people. Yeah. So. No, thanks for giving us so that. I, we, we got some research to do now, folks. Now, I don't want to <laughs> go much further. I know you've been so gracious to be with us for an hour. So I want two more things. I wanted to wrap up on kind of the timeline. Everyone wants to know when we're going to get rich. And I think that you and me have been kind of reiterating something similar here. Be patient. This timeline is extended out. And I want to specifically say, in my opinion, how I look at this, we aren't getting any action before the midterms, which is obviously just a couple of weeks away now. But then that new Congress doesn't come in till January either. So I'm not expecting any major breakthroughs as far as regulations being passed by Congress until like spring of next year at the earliest. And then in regards to the Ripple versus SEC lawsuit, if we don't see a settlement here in the next couple months, then obviously we're probably going to get drawn out into next spring as well, which kind of lines up both of those timelines brings us to next spring being the earliest that we're going to kind of maybe be making it through the storm and, and to the other side. What's your take on that timeline of events and, you know, the SEC lawsuit? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that. It, it's going to be at least that much time. I, I'm not completely basing on that uh, with my knowledge. Um, I, my wife helps me out a lot with that. Um, she knows a lot more about the legal wor world than I do, but, it's it's at least six months and i hate to tell everybody that because everybody wants it to happen tomorrow you know but it it's at least six months from what i know and it, but i do really believe they're gonna win the case but again like i mentioned earlier i'm not so sure that's such a great thing because if you win then you're back in appellate court and that could drag on for years on end and, and yeah. maybe that's our plan all along i don't know it it just seemed like such a weak case from day one Mm -hmm. It was so shaky the way they dropped it on December 22nd or whatever it was. And with the outgoing commissioner, the whole thing was just shady from day one. And right. really, our whole system should be I'm ashamed of themselves, the way the whole circus has gone down. Right. And you, sh you should really look into what they did. Reggie and Veritasium, he they personally went after him and yeah. to a level where he just said, I'm, I'm out. Also. Yeah. So um, timeline, 
I hate to say it to everybody because I know everybody's excited. I'd say at least six months, yeah. at least probably more like a year. I hate to say a year because that would really bum everybody out, but maybe. Everybody's going <laughs> to thumbs down this video now since you said one year. <laughs> <laughs> They're waiting no, to show, buddy. <laughs> it's so important though, because this community specifically XRP has gotten themselves so hyped up. I've been guilty of it. Yeah. Too. We've talked about, right? How we thought yeah. this case was going to be settled in months. We're like, right. they don't have a case. This is over yeah. in no time. Here we are the, two years later. The other thing too, is don't listen to the technical traders. I was one for a decade. Don't listen to those guys because those TA guys are all about, oh, well, it's, it's, it's a great, a lower low and a, you know, a higher low. Please. There's nothing like the SEC coming down on you. That's going to ruin a chart. That is the definition of fundamentals in fundamental right. trading. Right. So I wouldn't look at any of that. I hear so much of those people. Oh, it's going to just crash to zero because of the chart says. Yeah. It's like taking no count to the fact that it's brilliant technology. Like the charts. Well, to your point, we have a, a case and an example here. If they went after Reggie's project because it was so powerful and they managed to get 96% of the supply. Yes. Yeah. That tells me that they may be interested in the XRP token as well, or there may be further plans for it as well. That's what I want to own. And yeah, um, that's right. In, in, in conclusion, I just wanted to ask, what else are you doing to take advantage of this transfer of wealth, this opportunity? We've talked about cryptos. You threw out a couple of gems for us. Uh, this is obviously not financial advice. We've no. talked about silver, which was very fascinating to me before we got on. You said that you believe now more than ever is the time to own silver and that you believe now more than ever in XRP. So what else are you doing to prepare for this transfer of wealth? And let, it, let us know, your, you know, what did you mean by that as far as now is the best time to own silver? Well, uh, if you look around the world geopolitically, uh, things are going right back to assets. All of a sudden, wow, who knew? Gold, or gold is worth something or... Um, whatever, uh, oil, right? Oil all of a sudden became really important to our lives in the last six months. So people understand that. It's real simple. But people think, oh, well, we can just manipulate it through the futures market and change the price of silver, which you and I know, because we pretty much talked about it. They're controlling the price of silver. My guess, my speculation. But how is it that diesel prices went up like twice if not three times and silver went down in price when it takes a billion barrels to get deep silver out of the ground with diesel how does how come twinkies went up double right but silver didn't when you know it takes so much diesel to get out of the ground that's obvious manipulation will it last forever i don't think so because china's opened their precious metal market and countries like russia and whatnot are selling a whole lot of oil to a lot of countries like india and whatnot and also i don't know if you guys know the uh, venezuela has been selling uh cryptocurrencies for their oil and gold for their oil just to try and get themselves back on their feet those are hard commodities and like i said you can print a lot of dollars, but you can't print a chicken, right? So you're going to eventually know that you need those things. Yeah. And it's becoming real. And uh, we're such a consumerist society that we don't understand that. And one of the other things about, I don't know if it's capturing wealth, but 
peace of mind, my wife and I started our own little farm, um, not because we're doomsdayers or preppers or anything like that, but it's kind of nice to know that we have food around and and uh, whatnot. So I know it's a lot of people's dream when they sell their XRP and they make what they consider to be a lot of money and they want to put into something real. They want a small farm or where they can take care of their family and their kids. And I want to touch back on that real quick. Um, and I, we touched on a little bit earlier is people say, okay, well, when I have a million dollars or $10 million, I'm going to sell my XRP or, or whatever token. Again, I, like I mentioned into what, right? Dollars. No, that I, I hear every channel says the same thing. Oh, I, you got to sell at this point. As a trader, one of the most difficult things that we're all going to have to go through is the hardest thing in trading is selling. When to get out. I've had two bull runs and I didn't sell as much as I could have or should have in either one. But I learned a lot of lessons to take a little off the top, but don't ever sell all your XRP. Ever. Because what the people that own the yachts that I drive understand is that it's a matter of time, if, whether it be Ethereum or Bitcoin or XRP or whatever the coin is, becomes the coin of the assets or the 10 assets that people want to own. The wealthy will end up with them eventually. Because what you're going to do is you're going to trade your tokens for their dollars. And they make them very simply and easily. And you don't. You work your tail for those things if you keep those tokens over time you can create generational wealth yeah and yeah. unfortunately in our country we think short term and that's my best advice about it well and, and, and to on. your point I've, I've always said too is that when xrp is going to be going up we will have gone through not only a recession but a serious financial restructuring moment that means like literally blood in the, I mean, it's not on the fears level. Like you said, it's not about that. It's about, we will be going through hard times, a recession, job loss, uh, losing your home. Like we go through hard times. And then on the other side, we have a great opportunity. So it's not only going to be deciding what to do with your XRP riches, but you might be forced into, you know, having to liquidate positions or having to take profits. And if we can insulate, if we can prepare for that, then it allows us to hold on to more of these assets that will run the new financial system. So for me, I have a kind of a similar exit strategy, right? Where I have, I'm going to sell off a small percentage of my portfolio in XRP at some of these lower levels, but then the rest of it, I plan on keeping forever. And like I said, wh whether I go to bank of America, some DeFi play Reggie Middleton, you know, right. someone's yeah. going to give me a return. Someone's going to let me collateralize and leverage my bag. And that's right that's what I'm going to be doing with 90% of my XRP. Right. So that's right. That I'm right there the, with you. That was the beauty. Uh, that was the beauty of the news that I got. <laughs> I got to tell this quick story. The day I did a video about it, but the day I got the word uh, that Fidelity was accepting cryptocurrencies okay, as collateral in your account, a giant light bulb goes off in my head. <laughs> I'm like, that's it not financial advice and it's not tax advice. First thing that came on my mind was I'll never pay taxes on my crypto again. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't quite understand. Well, anybody that's read rich man, poor man, 
uh, the rich use their money to borrow money. Okay, so if you've got $100,000 in fidelity, you can borrow 20% of that as long as you pay back within five years as to no penalty and no interest. Okay, huge, by the way. No tax, no penalty, nothing. So you have five years to pay it back. It's like a HELOC, if you know what those are. You know, home equity, line of credit. Yeah, so when I heard that, that was the first thing I heard. And I was watching a few different channels. Nobody was talking about it. Like, do you understand this is an institution with $9 trillion under their roof? And they're saying, well, we'll take those tokens and you can borrow against them. They weren't saying that. I just happen to know that, you know, because I used to deal with. Uh, and I didn't deal with fidelity, but people like them and how money against money is how the wealthy do it. Right. Yeah. Right. It was huge. Well, Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure. You dropped some gems for us. We got some further research to do, and we will definitely be tuning in to your channel. Make sure everyone's going to subscribe to Alan, the stable yeah. crew at uh, YouTube. And Alan, it's just been an absolute pleasure. Uh, maybe we can have you on again here soon. Uh, and uh, thank you once again, everyone in the community. If you guys can smash that thumbs up for Alan joining us, having a great session. And I will look forward to uh, speaking to you again here soon, Alan. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, anything I could do for any of you guys, drop in the chat. All right. Thank you. We'll see you guys. Thank you so much.